Well, hey, it's good to be here. I appreciate uh, Doug again giving me a chance to come and preach for you. I uh, hope I can be a blessing. Hope the Lord be a blessing to you. <clears throat> um, I, how it always goes, the church usually knows how I do this. And I, when, After I preach, I usually start praying. I mean, like, uh, after I get done today, I'm going to start praying, God, what next time, next year, when Doug asks me again, <laughs> right, uh, to, to preach for him, God, give me uh, what, what you want me to talk about. <clears throat> and so a while ago, God gave me about, talked about friends. I'm going to talk about friends. Now I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Uh, I'm just, this is just one sermon, but there's a um, pastor called Greg Groeschel. I think it's Life Church, and he's got a series on, call, he calls it Friending. A lot of good material. I'm going to use some of his stuff. I'll just tell you the truth. And, uh, but that's, that's a good sermon series you want to get into, get some more information about this. Friends. I'm talk about friends. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, probably the most important decision you'll make besides choosing your spouse is choosing your friends. Now, on your handout, there is five blanks on there. Five blanks, I want you to write down your closest friends. Now, before you write, now hold on a second, before you write, I want to give a little bit of uh, kind of uh, rules about that. First of all, it can't be any family member. It can't be your you know, spouse. It can't be a brother, sister, cousin, something like that. All right? It's got to be somebody you do life with. It's got to be somebody that knows you, that knows things about you that nobody else knows. Somebody that, you know, you pick up the phone and call at 3 in the morning because you need them. Somebody who, if they were asked this question, they'd be putting your name down. Give me five friends like that. Bobby, you are not on my list. Let's let you know right now, Bobby. That's right. <laughs> I told Bobby last time we, we had a fellowship, I was going to get you when I preached next time. That's right. That's right. I am. I am a sore loser. Now, you know, um, Pastor Greg said a, a great little, little phrase there. He said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me the people you hang out with, the people that you do life with, and I'll show you where you're going to end up. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You know, you heard this, the saying, birds of a feather flock together, right? Well, just people who are going a certain pathway in life, they just tend to congregate together. It's just the way it is. Friends are important. So I want to talk to you about that. So the first thing, that's what we're going to look at, the importance of friends, the importance of friends. As a matter of fact, the Scripture, uh, I might say, God places a, a large amount of success or failure of your life in the path that you walk, whether Christian or non-Christian, based on the choice of your friends. So we're going to look at some things. First, I want to look at the reason why friends are important is because you arrive at the same destination. You arrive at the same destination. I'm telling you, well, your friends are going this way. I'll tell you, I'll tell you you're going to, going to kind of tend to go that way. Your friends are going this way over here. You're going to get, kind of get pulled that way. You arrive at the same destination your friends are at. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 says this. It says, the righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. You got to choose your friends carefully. 
If you got a bad marriage, but you got some good friends, you can get through that bad marriage. They can help you out. But if you got a good marriage and some bad friends, you're about to get yourself a bad marriage. <laughs> Because they're going to give you all kinds of bad advice. Oh, come on. What's she letting her tell you? What, man, come on out. What's she tell you? Going to take that church and all. I mean, man, you better watch it. Choose your friends carefully. Proverbs chapter 13 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. What kind of relationships does your friends have? If they're married, what kind of marriage do they have? What's their finances like? What kind of friends do they have that you call a friend? What's their journey in life turning out? What's their spiritual journey? It doesn't say a wise man, um, you know, walk with perfect men. It says walk with wise, wise people, people who have learned from their mistakes and their successes. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Friends arrive at the same destination. Friends share the same habits. In Proverbs chapter 22, there in 24 and 25, it says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go. At least you learn his ways and are set a snare for your soul. You know, we've heard, I've heard this all my life, you know, being growing up in church, you know, uh, cast out a scorner and strife will see. Have you ever heard that? Ever heard that phrase, cast out a scorner? The word scorner means, it actually means to make a mouth at. To make a mouth at. You ever have those people? <laughs> and when the boss leaves, <laughs> you know, I can't believe she wore that dress and those shoes. <laughs> right? Scorner. Next thing you know, you're going, yeah, I can't believe that. Oh, man, they, could you see that? You, next thing you know, you're going to take on their habits. You're going to share the same habits as your friends. You know, what I like about new life, I, I, we're, just, we're, we're just kind of plain. You know, we're, we're not the sharpest shovel in the shed, but you know what? We love God. But we just kind of tell like it is, too, I think. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this. It says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Now, in the original Greek, if, if the, the literal reading of it says, you're an idiot if you think you won't be influenced by the bad habits of bad friends. That's a joke. It doesn't really say that. <laughs> but that's what that verse means. Okay? Have your friends went out and got drunk last night? Gonna get some bad habits. Your friends cuss like a sailor? Yeah. Be careful. 
Don't be deceived. Okay? Now I'm going to get into something about here later on. But just keep that in mind. That evil company corrupts good habits. Proverbs 27, 17, which is that video we watched. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. Now, we Christians, we always take that as a positive thing, you know, like, like, the, like the video did. But in the Bible, uh, the term friend is used in, in kind of a neutral way. You can have a good friend or you can have a bad friend, you see. So you can have a friend that sharpens you to be graceful, to be compassionate, to be faithful, have integrity, purity, to love God and others. They sharpen you that way. See, but then you can have a friend that sharpens you to be a critical tongue, to have a temper and contempt and lust and a critical spirit. See, a friend can sharpen either way. So how are your friends sharpening you? Friends are important. Friends are important. Now I want to talk kind of on two different things, on two different avenues. One is about you being a good friend and the kind of friends that you need. So first we're going to talk about being a good friend. How to be a good friend. You know, to be a good friend, you've got to be genuine. You've got to be genuine. Uh, Pastor Craig kind of termed this as be, um, be present is how he worded it. You know, you, you've got to be authentic. You've got to be true. You've got to be sincere to be a friend. <laughs> you know, I've been married for 30 years, right? Okay. And um, just had to check. And um, just last night, man, I, I've learned, you know, that every once in a while I've got to go, mm-hmm, yeah, really. Mm-hmm, yeah, really. And as she's going, uh, mm-hmm, yeah, really. And then last night she said, repeat to me just what I said. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you said something about an elephant, I think, in a backyard, and a zebra. I, I don't know. It was totally off, man, totally off. I wasn't being genuine. I wasn't being genuine. I had to put down the, I actually paused the TV. I set the remote down. I looked at her. And I repeated back everything she said to me to make sure I had it. Be genuine. Be genuine. In Proverbs 18, it says this. It says, a man who has friends must show himself friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, just, man, real quick, just, you know, the, the Bible is a deep book. There's a lot to it. That first part of that verse literally really comes from three words, three Hebrew words. One word is friend, or well, one word is man, one word is friend, and the rest of it is one, one other word, the third word. So the, the translations that, that, are, that try to bring that across have some been a little bit more dynamic, but they still kind of bring it along the same way. This one is a little bit more, the translation I like, it's a little more literal. But it has the idea that is if you're going to have friends, you're going to be popular, you're looking just for numbers, then you've got to like what this guy's like and what this girl likes. And you got, you, in other words, you, you can't really be genuine. If it's all about just how many friends you have, how many likes you have, how many people who are you know, on your social media, how many numbers you have there, then 
You know, you've got to be a friend to everybody. You can't be a really genuine, true friend. Because he says there, but there's a friend. There's that friend who's closer than a brother. And see, I think in, in our society, the way we are, it's all about how many number, how many people got my, how many people like what I post and all this stuff. And, it, and, and you're not really genuine if you're just trying to be popular. But you can have a friend who's closer than a brother. It's closer than blood. Now, I had a child. I actually had four child children. But I have one of my children explain this to me and said, you know, as a parent, dad, you've got to love me. You've got to like me. Okay? All the things that I do wrong and whatever, I mean, I expect that. I expect that from you. I expect that from mom. You're my parent. You're going to think I'm successful. You're going to think that I'm beautiful or handsome. You're going to think that I can do anything. I expect that. But see, my friends, they choose to be my friend. They don't have to. It's a choice they make. They see something in me and choose to be my friend. That's why a friend has so much power. And it made sense. It made sense. You know, to be a good friend, you gotta, man, you gotta be there. You gotta be genuine. It says there in Proverbs chapter 17, a friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. You know, maybe a few years ago, on your list of friends there, those five little blanks, maybe there's somebody who you would have put down there, but you don't have them down there now. Maybe there's a little something happened. Maybe you got offended. Maybe they got offended. You're not friends anymore. Man, a true friend loves at all times. The thick and the thin, the right and the wrong. That's genuine. In John chapter 13, it says, A new commandment I give you, Jesus said, he said this, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this we'll all know that you are my disciples. You have loved one for another. Now, Jesus didn't say, if you love others as you love me, because, you know, as a Christian, you, and you love Jesus. So Jesus said, well, you just need to love others like you love me. But he didn't say that. He said, love others as I loved you. Because... You know, my friends don't know everything about me. They, they know things I might let in, but there's some things that go up in this little crazy brain that nobody knows about but me and God. But God still loves me. And Jesus says, you need to love people like that. You know, this was the final instruction up there in the upper room. This is when they had the Last Supper. Judas goes out and betrays Jesus, and he goes to the garden. The next day, he's going to be crucified. This is when he says all this. He says, people know you're my disciples when you love one another. You know, if I can say without offending anybody, I mean this from my heart, I understand in the, the lost world aspect, the, the, the people who don't follow and care about God and all that, if, if, they, have, if they do stuff to hurt me, I, I, I kind of expect that. But, man, when a brother or a sister, somebody who I thought was my friend, when they stab me in the back, when they hurt me, when they say things, I find out they're talking about me, man, when, and yet I still love them, you see. Because I wasn't expecting that. 
God says, you know, the world sees that and says that that's, that's a different kind of love there. That you love your brother or sister, even though you know their shortcomings, even though you know that they might even hurt you, you still love them. That's the kind of love Jesus says will show the world that this is true, this is real. It's not just religion. How to be a good friend, you've got to be genuine. You also got to be, you got to be open. You got to be open. Okay? You know, there's different personalities. We learned that. You got reds, it can't, can't go at all. But you got reds, you got blues, you got greens, you got yellows. Okay? Um, uh, I'm a green. Greens and blues, we tend to kind of close people off. We don't tend to let people come a little more laid back, a little more closed off than the reds and the yellows. Some of you, maybe you've been hurt, something happened, so you kind of close people off. But you know, to be a good friend, you've got to be open. You've got to be open. James said here in James chapter 5, verse 16, 16, he said, confess your trespasses one to another. Okay, that's that, that's that idea, man. You got those things you, you're struggling with, those things you're fighting with, those things that are, that are getting you. You got you to let someone else know about that. He says, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person, righteous man, avails much. Stop trying to portray, your, portray yourself as something that you're not. You know, we're, we're all about, um, you know, how many hundreds of pictures do you take before you finally post that one, right? A couple of ducky faces, you know. You got to make sure you don't get your double chin so it's up here, right? You, it's got to be the lighting and, oh, I need to put on a different shirt than this one, right? I mean, they finally make that one post. Everybody thinks is, oh, wow, they got it all together, right? You're not being very open. That's kind of the society we, 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 we kind of find ourselves in. I like what Doug said. He says, you're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. You're going to keep those things hidden? You're not going to let anybody know? I'm telling you, you're going to stay sick. That's why you said there in James, you've got you to tell other people. You've got to confess that. You've got to get it out. Pray for, pray for one another that you may be healed. It's not talking about really always physical healing. It's all that spiritual healing, that mental healing. You will only connect with others if you have a point to connect with. If you don't ever open up and have a point that people can connect with you, you'll never have friends. Genuine, true friends. You've got to open up. Okay? You've got to open up. You show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, Two are better than one because they have a good uh, reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift his companion up, but woe to the the one who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help help him up. You know, studies showed that not too many years back, when the same question was asked, write down how many close friends who know you, who you have an intimate, you know, friendship with, how many people would they write? They, six people was the average. Six people. They say to, today in this time of our, our American lives, whatever, uh, two. Two was the average. You know, there's some people that, that didn't write anybody 
They didn't write anybody down in that piece of paper. They don't have one close friend outside maybe their spouse or brother or sister. Now, the whole reason this sermon came to mind for me as I was sitting here in church, we used to sit over there, I looked out across the chairs and it just struck me how many people were not here that were here two, three, four, five, six, seven years ago. You know, it's true, some of those people, they moved on, they, they moved or they, Lord, led them to a different church and, and, and stuff, and, and that's fine, I man, I understand, but you know, there's some people that, you know what, they just didn't connect. They just didn't find friends in the church. And trouble happens, life happens, and they fell away. Ran into one such person just the other day, not in church, not doing nothing. Gave him a hug, told him I loved him, my heart broke. Tell you what, you got to get connected. You got to be genuine, you got to open up. You need friends. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Now, not only is this the friend I should be, but how about the friends that I need? Well, let me show you three friends that you need. Now, the Bible talks about David, King David, right? Back in the Old Testament, David was, the Bible said he was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't a perfect man. We know that. He did some things that were wrong. But still, even though he did things that were wrong, he got that right. He went back and he followed God. And he, I tell you, he had some friends that helped him along the way. So let me give you three friends that you need in your life. First, you need a Jonathan. You need a Jonathan for spiritual strength. A Jonathan, Jonathan for spiritual strength. So as the story goes, God anointed this man named Saul to be king, but Saul was went away from God, and he disobeyed the Lord, and he rebelled. And so God said, I'm going to find me another man. I'm going to find me a man after my own heart. And he found David as a young boy. And so he led, as we're going to read later on, Samuel to anoint him king. So David ends up in, ends up in the palace with Saul. While Saul is still king and David's still a young man, you know, maybe he's early or late teens, maybe early 20s. And Saul knows that this new boy come around, that he was anointed to be king in his place. So Saul has it out for him. So here in 1 Samuel chapter 23, it says this. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. Saul wants to kill him. This is the guy who's going to take the kingdom from me. And David was in the wilderness of Ziphah in a forest. Now here's, man, this is the kicker. Then Jonathan, Saul's son. So this is Jonathan. He's the king's son. He's going to be the king when his dad's gone. What does he do? He arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened David in his God. Jonathan knew that David was going to take the king kingdom away from him. He wasn't going to be king. David was. But that was all right with Jonathan because they were best friends. 
and he sought what was best for David. And, man, if that's what God wants to raise you up instead of me, that's fine, man. Hey, trust in the Lord. And Jonathan came and strengthened him. And that's what you need. You need a friend who can give you strength, man, when you don't feel like getting out of bed, when you don't feel like putting on your clothes, when you don't feel like doing nothing. You just want to give up, man. You need a friend to come there and cry with you and pray with you and sit with you and see you through. You need a Jonathan. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love. I believe Paul wrote this, and he said, to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. <clears throat> All right? We in New Life hear that verse a lot. It's, it's not to dog anybody. It's not to hound anybody. It's not to hold it over your head. It is to encourage you, man. If God's called you to this church to be a member, man, it's, we want you to come because we want to encourage you. We want to be there for you. I need you to encourage me. I need you to come by... Even though I, my sermon sucked, right? You can come by and say, man, Casey, that was the best sermon I ever heard. <laughs> and that encouraged me to make me do this again. You see? I need you here. I need to see your nice smiley face. I need your spiritual strength. Man, when life gets you down and things happen, man, the, the church, if you're a Christian, that's the place to come, not to forsake, to find strength. Need a Jonathan. Need a Jonathan. You know what? You also need a Samuel. Need a Samuel for spiritual guidance. So I kind of told you the story a little bit about Samuel, Saul, and David. So here in 1 Samuel chapter 16, when David was first anointed to be king, it says, So he, that's Samuel, sent and brought him, that's David, brought him in. Now he was ruddy and bright-eyed and good-looking. Now, so he, Samuel goes to David's daddy and says, Hey, bring me your son. He just knew it was one of his sons. Bring your sons in. And all the sons came in, and God said, Nope, 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 not him, not him, not him. And so he says, Hey, do you got, uh, you got any other sons right here we don't know about? Oh, yeah, David's out there in the field. Oh, I'll bring him in. So David's this little bitty kid. You know, he's just a young boy. Now, it says he's ruddy, he's bright-eyed, and good-looking. Now, you think, oh, that's good. But see, you've got to understand, we're talking about finding a, a leader. We're talking about finding the next king. You know, you, you, you want a guy who, who looks the part, you know, a, a George Washington or a, you know, a Churchill, you know, a, you know, a Patton, this, this a person who looks commanding. You want this little good-looking, bright-eyed little boy coming in. I work in the prison. I'm not the biggest fella. I'm okay. We have what's called a use of force, which is when things happen and you have to have people that get, the, get stuff under control. Usually when that happens, I like a big dude. Right. Chad knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, they, they've been there, right? I want a, want a big dude to go in there with me, okay? One time we had a, they had a use of force, and um, I heard the radio, so I was one of the closest. I ran in there, and I was the tallest dude out of the three of us. <laughs> no joke. Man, dudes, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. If I'm the big guy, we're in trouble, guys. All right? 
David didn't look the part. But Saul, I mean, Samuel saw something in him. Something that God gave him to see in David. Gave him guidance. In the New Testament, that equivalent is in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 28. When Saul, which we know later on is, going to be, is Paul, right? His name got changed to Paul later on. But when he got saved, he was still called Saul. It says, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, now here's a guy, persecuted Christians, tried to get him put to death, tried to get him to blaspheme God, persecuted man, did all this stuff, and God saved him. And it says, and when he tried to come and join the disciples, they were afraid of, afraid of him. They, did, they didn't believe that he was a disciple. They just thought he was just a, it was just a ruse. He's just trying to get in and get us again. And this guy named Barnabas, it says, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, how, how Saul had seen the Lord on the road, and he had spoken, the Lord spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So that's when Saul, he went in without, with him in Jerusalem, and they accepted him. Man, Barnabas came through and guided him and said, hey, no, I, I see potential in this guy. Trust me, this, uh, I see the Lord's got this guy for something. And Barnabas came in there and helped him out. That's what you need. You need a Jonathan. You need a Barnabas in your life, man, to give you guidance, to guide you in your life, or your marriage, your finances, your spiritual walk, everything you do. You need someone to come in there and help you, to guide you. Do you have a Jonathan in your life? Do you have a Samuel in your life? That's the kind of friends you need. The third kind of friend you need is a Nathan. A Nathan. Or Bobby. <laughs> That's so I, Bobby. Need a Nathan, right, for spiritual correction. To tell you like it is. Yeah, you're a sore loser, man. I know, I know. I know. But you need that. You need someone to tell you the truth. It says here in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7, 7 and 9, it says, then Nathan said to David, okay, oh, let, let me set this up. I'm sorry. So David um, commits adultery, sees another man's wife, commits adultery. She gets pregnant. So now he wants to try to hide all this. So he, being the king, he sends her husband, who is a, a warrior, a fighter, into a battle and tells his general, whenever the battle is heated, Everybody pull back, leave this guy, Uriah, which is her husband, at the front so he'll die. And that's what he does, gets him killed. Nobody knows about it. Then he takes her for his wife. It looks like, oh, everything's legit. But God tells Nathan, he's the prophet, and Nathan comes there, and it says in Nathan there in first, or Second Samuel uh, chapter 12, Nathan comes in to David and tells him a story and says, hey, there was this man who had just one little lamb and that's all he had and he was poor and this other rich guy that had everything he ever wanted came and took that man's lamb. And uh, David said, man, that man's got to die. That, that, that's wrong. He shouldn't do that. And Nathan says, you are the man. I'm talking about you, David. He said, you're the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I, um, I delivered you from the hand of Saul. In verse 9 it says, Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and taken his wife to be your wife. That's what you need. You need a Nathan to tell you like it is, to be able to stand up despite your friendship and tell you what you need to hear. In Proverbs chapter 27, it says open rebuke is better than, uh, than carefully concealed, than love that's carefully concealed. 
Okay? Faithful, he says, are the wounds of a friend. So you need a friend that is faithful, that is willing to tell you what you need to hear. Now, the ultimate example of friendship, of course, is, is the love of Jesus. He's the ultimate example, right, because he's genuine. You know, here's Jesus as God, Lord, creator of the earth, right, creator of the universe, I mean, you know, creator of everything. And in the garden, he opens up to his friends, right, and he tells them, man, I'm, as, as a man. Remember, because Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man, all right? He was... He was everything there is to God. He was God, fully God, but yet he allowed himself to sweat, get hungry, feel pain. He did all that for us. So that human side of him in the garden, he said, hey, fellas, come and pray with me, okay, because I, I, um, I got to get through this. He's open. Wow, God being open, okay? Jesus was... Gave spiritual strength to his friends. He gave them guidance, correction. He was the best friend there ever was. In Luke chapter number 7, Jesus says this, talking to these people who are kind of judging him. Now, John the Baptist came, and John the Baptist was in the wilderness, ate locusts and honey, stayed by himself, was a prophet, and they said he was full of the devil. Then Jesus came along, and he was with the people, and he went and talked and ate and fellowshiped and all that, and then this is what they said. Jesus is saying this, what they're saying. He said, the Son of Man, Jesus is saying this, came eating and drinking. Talk about himself. I came, I came eating and drinking. And you say, look, he's a glutton and he's a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And that's where we Christians get that phrase that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. But see, that phrase was originally made by his enemies as a slander, as a slander to him, you see? Because they didn't do that at that time. If you were religious and you were this and that, you didn't have nothing to do with the sinners. But see, that's what Jesus did. He was there in their house and he was there talking and he was there helping. Jesus was a friend of sinners, see? And now that makes so much more, man, uh, impact and the passage, the great passage of friendship that Jesus said, again, that's still that same night up in the upper room uh, as they're doing the Passover before he's about to go to the cross, before he goes to the garden, he tells them this in John chapter 15. He says, this is my commandment, Jesus tells his disciples, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now, he is about to explain what friendship means, that being a friend with Jesus means, okay? And, and you have to understand kind of what's going on because look what he says. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now, many of us don't say that to our friends. Hey, I'm only going to be your friend if you play my game. <laughs> I did that when I was six and when I was 25, yeah, but I haven't done that for a long time. But see, Jesus called them friends, but that didn't change his relationship with them. He was still Lord. He was still God. He was still creator. He was still king, but he was their friend. He says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. See, there's that. He made a choice. 
He made a choice to be your friend. He didn't have to be your friend. He makes a choice to be your friend. He chooses to be your friend. No longer I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master does. But I have called you friends. For all things I have heard my father, I have made known to you. See, that's, what, that's, the, that's the great thing. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down life for his friends. See, because that, that term friend is the idea like a friend, like, like the best man. That's what the best man, this phrase was used for the best man at the wedding. So the groom, you know, he has his best man, and he knows everything. And, and even though they're not on the same level, because he's the groom and he's the best man, he still considers him a friend. You see? And you've got the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the God of all creation calling you, I want to be your friend. And greater love has no, no man than this, than the king lay down his life for his friend. See, because Jesus died for you. You see? He died for you. He died in your place. What greater love is it, do you have as a friend? That is like... And get out of the political idea, okay? That's like taking a president that you voted for, okay? <laughs> and having him step in front of a car to save one of his staff members and give his life. Well, I thought, I thought everybody's supposed to protect the president. Yeah, but if he stepped out and gave his life to protect one of his staffers, it's this guy that, that gets his uh, limousine together and all that. Not even anybody you think important, but that's his friend and he... Gave his life, the president? Gave his life for a staff member? That's, that's the idea here. You, know, you don't you don't really hear that. Well, the king of kings gave his life for you. Died for you because he wants to be your friend. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus lays his life down for you. The importance of friends, and I hope you can take this to heart, Hope it can help you. But man, more than anything, I hope you can see how much Jesus wants to be not just your Lord and your Savior, but your friend. Amen. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your compassion and mercy. And despite our shortcomings and the things that we've done, Lord, you are still a genuine friend and are there at all times. You never leave us nor forsake us. And even, Lord, when we fall down, Lord, you are still there see us up. We thank you, Lord, for that. Help us to be the same for others. Lord, help us to be that kind of a friend, a genuine, true, open friend who has the, you know, the, the heart of what's better for my friend above what's better for myself. I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.